Happy Easter? Except it's not Easter yet. Because we're doing second Gethsemane this week because kilts is, of course, now in Holy Week. And we have some more hard stuff to meditate on. I, 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 I mean, I'm not sure whether this one's not going to be a harder Gethsemane than last week, because then we were thinking about the way Christ carries our sins. But now we wanted to take on that big one that nobody talks about and that we really need as Christians to be able to think about. And there are various ways of saying it. Um, I'm, I'm even hesitating to name the topic <laughs> because I think we don't we don't know as Americans or Australians as a culture how to deal with the fact that not everybody in Jesus's immediate circle recognized him as the one that could carry their sins. And over the centuries, that difference of opinion on whether or not he was is our Lord and Savior has persisted up to the present day that there are some of us, is it one tradition within this tradition? Dare we say, is there such a thing as a Judeo-Christian tradition? When it all goes down to that moment under the cross when some say yes and some say no, and we don't know how to talk about what that means. So we figured we'd try because, yeah, we go out in the ark into the really deep waters that nobody else goes and we find krakens and dragons and monsters and leviathans. So stick with us on the Mosaic Ark. Well, now I made her laugh because I thought, talked about monsters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I you so know, seriously, <laughs> we're doing second Gethsemane tonight, and and we can't be laughing about this. This is this is serious stuff, you know. It is because because Christians. I mean, it's it's a bad it's a bad thing if Christians are in sin because we recognize Christ as our Savior. Wait, okay, my mind just broke. Hmm. Um, I should really stop laughing. It's it's all very it's horrible. gallows humor. It's definitely gallows humor. This is this is. Mm. See, we didn't laugh last week because we we you know we're we're we we recognize the the gravity of the sin. But now it's like, what do we do? We're we're 
Oh no. Yes. I'm... It's a tricky one. To, it, it, yeah. It's a it's a very difficult conversation to have because no one wants to have it. <laughs> no one wants to have this conversation for so many different reasons. Also. Yeah. Um. And of course, in uh, because we the, the cops are in the middle of Holy Week at the moment. We're meditating on all of this uh, at the moment. Uh, looking forward to the the liturgy of prayer for the conversion of the Jews that we do every mm. uh, every Easter after yeah. our Lenten fast, and also um, the night of the apocalypse and meditating on what it means to be Israel in expectation of the new Jerusalem. So there's a lot of things that are bubbling up for all of us right now. We uh, we have a lot of uh, a lot of really heavy things to meditate on. Yeah, that, that's that's how I will start this. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I I think that's for, for a lot of people that will be unfamiliar because I mean within post Vatican II Catholicism, I don't think we pray that way anymore. Um, it's like, oh really? Well, I, I mean, certainly, I don't, I don't know what you just described as those meditations. <clears throat> I don't think they had a place in pre-Vatican II liturgies. But I know, you know, one of the, one of the, well, one of the things is the, taking out the line of, you know, the perfidious Jews, which, it, I mean, it's interesting that that right. that phrase of itself can be seem so so evil to say because it means faithless, which since. By definition, Jews do not have faith in Jesus as as the Christ. It's a kind of descriptive term, um, but yes. but I I do I do know one of my friends, um, one of my good friends in academia had been, well she grew up she's Jewish in her um, family history, and she first converted to Orthodoxy, but there were prayers in there both against the the faith faithlessness of the Jews towards Christ towards Jesus as the Christ um and there were prayers about that in the liturgy and she just said I couldn't I couldn't do that so now she's anglo-catholic well anglican anglo-catholic in her worship um mm -hmm. it's it's something that's been incredibly uncomfortable for well say obviously it has been incredibly uncomfortable in the the west for those christians that look to um, what happened in the Holocaust as defining mm. defining of modernity and to say, you know, how responsible were we and who's the we in that and to what degree, you know, mm. is there a responsibility of on Christians for, you know, modern, the, well, the Holocaust and then, you know, well, apparently the Holocaust is absolutely unique. So... <laughs> I yes. Um, I, I, I've been called on this, tripped over it a few times and say, well, you know, if we put it in the context of the other horrors of the 20th century, Christians also have difficulty talking about World War One because you had armies of Christians fighting against each other. And that we just end up in this this in, in, inability to speak. Yes. Um, you bring to mind quite a few things. <laughs> So, um, perhaps uh, we don't find it as difficult to have this conversation because 
our people had nothing to do with World War II. Mm. I say our people being Coptics. Um, of course, not no. Let me rephrase that. We didn't have nothing to do with World War Two. <laughs> our our experience of World War Two was very different. Um, the involvement of uh, a lot of the Coptic people in that conflict began as a rejection of the the fascist powers wanting to invade Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. So we have this kind of memory of a, a rejection of fascism, but also none of the heightened emotion around the kind of fascism that was going on in Germany because the Jews in the Coptic world have had a very different experience than the uh, Jews that have been in exile in Europe. Mm. So having a liturgy which is reflecting on the relationships between Jews and Christians in the Coptic um, the Coptic world, it we don't immediately recall the recent, uh, you know, this recent world war conflict is influencing that conversation, that liturgical conversation. Right. For us, <clears throat> our talking about the relationships between Christians and Jews is rooted in the um, in the Passion, in Holy Week, in the events that revolve around Gethsemane, the arrest of Christ, his trial and his crucifixion, and what happened afterwards. Mm-hmm. So that probably is an important thing for people to realize that we don't speak of Jews and Christians and the conflict there and recall the European situation. We're thinking in a more ancient way, um, much more historical. Yeah. <laughs> This is this is going to be startling, I think, for a lot of people because, I mean, with the Western Anglo-European tradition, and and certainly I, you know, familiar this from this in my own academic specialty because much of this, well, the conflict, the, let me say, I've got this book in my lap, <laughs> which is by my departmental colleague at the University of Chicago, David Nirenberg, called Anti-Judaism, mm-hmm. the Western Tradition. And it basically is all of it, right? Um, the, the, you know, the, it, to think about Judaism in the Western tradition is, it, 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 so his premise, and David's a very subtle thinker, and so it's easy, you know, you don't want to go into caricature on anything because he's trying very hard to make sure that all of these things have their proper nuance um mm. and and his 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 premise is that there is a, an anti-judaic strain in the western tradition throughout right that it's 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 sort of it's a consistent and present um element to the way in which the west has defined itself um mm. which is not the same thing as saying the western the western tradition is anti-judaic 
And I do think he tries very hard to not say that, but you know, <laughs> it's a little, you know, it, 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 there is this anti-Judaic strain. Does that make the entire tradition anti-Judaic? Some would maybe say yes. I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but that, you know, just to give you a, a sense of the scope that he starts not in fact with Christianity, um, but with Egypt. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the way back, right? Saying that there there was yes. from Exodus, and he he also gives an example of, uh, I mean that, that there's you know, <clears throat> ancient descriptions against Judaism even before the the New Testament, um, and particularly uh, a debate in um, about Jews in Elephantine, which is Elephantine, yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that you know I, and I, i'm not so it, it, i remember when 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 david was writing this and it was coming out and he was saying you know some people had told him you don't want to write that and and these are sometimes jews so i recognize that some of the problem of the long tradition is also there's debates i mean just as there's debates within christianity about how to think about judaism there's debates within judaism about how to think about its relationship to christianity and mm. um not all of the scholars in um the trying to understand this out this aspect of the western tradition agree with the way david set this up but you know he's saying th that there is this long duration and it begins within he starts it in G egypt and then of course there's early christianity with paul in the new testament the early church john chrysostom figures strongly in that chapter um a uh, chapter on um, Jewish enmity in Islam, um, a, a chapter on Jews and their place in medie medieval Europe. It's called Jews and Power mm -hmm. in Medieval Europe. Um, a chapter on the Inquisition in Spain, on the Reformation, on Shakespeare. Um, then we jump, uh, well, and then Israel, the foundation of Christian politics in the early modern period, enlightenment revolts against Judaism, the revolutionary per perfection of the world, 1789, question mark to now, I guess, philosophical struggles with Judaism from Kant to Heine, modernity thinks with Judaism. Um, and a final epilogue on, uh, several Jewish intellectuals, including Hannah Arendt, um, Eric Auerbach and, and, and a couple others. And I, I know Eric Auerbach from, it's a, t it's like, <clears throat> you can't even speak eventually without realizing yes. how much of the tradition has been arguing with. And I think the, the David's strong point is arguing with an image of Judaism that may or may not in fact be Judaism, right? So that there's, there's, there's mm. sort of cont in, particularly in the middle ages, um, what one scholar has called the hermeneutical Jew, the Jew that you use to talk about what Christianity is, but that does not in fact exist as a real person or as a real tradition. Mm -hmm. It's just a, a sort of shadow projection. So that's to a little bit of extent of some of what I know we're tangled up in and being able to talk about it. And then of course, mm -hmm. there's the more recent, which you were alluding to the more recent, you know, post second world war, tangled that the United States finds itself in politically and therefore culturally. Um, and then Catholicism's, you know, attitude that got tangled up with, we can't even speak. I'm, I'm just going to stutter through most of this. <laughs> My usual fluency being trapped in the 
exactly what I, I not even what, well, so some of it's exactly what we were talking about. Some, some of as a topic, right. Problems. Some of it is, why is it so hard to talk about? Um, well, you know, I don't approach this from a scholarly perspective. I just kind of, <laughs> I'm vibing my way through this problem, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, it's difficult to talk about, I think, because a lot of people have lost the connection between uh, veneration of the Virgin Mary and uh, the expression of the Christian faith. And because in Coptic worship, we are constantly referring to Mary, to the Virgin in the context of Israelite identity, we're not ever minimizing it. We're maximizing it constantly. She's, um, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about whitewashing, uh, whitewashing history, white, whitewashing cultures and, and that kind of thing. The, especially in Egypt, this, profound shift between seeing uh, the Hebrews as sojourners in Egypt to being the liberators of the Egyptian people from their pre pre-Christian bondage. Mm. The Egyptian Coptic world received the Holy Family, received the Virgin Mary and Joseph and Christ when he was an infant. This has profoundly impacted the the Coptic thinking around Israel, its relationship to the Israelites. And that is because of the Virgin. So this is the place I'm going to start because from the perspective of the Protestant world that don't even have a basic understanding of why Catholics are venerating Mary in the first place, it's really, really hard to see why we are so um, endless, endlessly obsessed with the Virgin and her place in the in the story of Christ, mm. and it's because of this enormous shift in Africa's relationship to Israel and the Israelites that are in Africa, and what it brought Christ into um, the Nile civil. Uh, from Herod so <clears throat> the first thing I have to emphasize is that especially this week you know we are reflecting on how Mary is for us foundational to the uh, the existence of Israel, which would be very strange for Protestants to think about because you say Israel, you hear that and you think the state. In a liturgical context, this does not mean a political state. It, for us, is a spiritual kingdom. It's Christ's spiritual kingdom. So that's probably the first place that I need to start. Um, the... 
The beginning of this conversation has to start with the Virgin. If we don't have her, we cannot have a very clear uh, discussion on anything because it gets very, very heated very quickly. And also we don't have a clarity of the terms that we're using. So yeah, hopefully that places the first brick on the road of, uh, of being able to get into it a little bit more. Um, well, I think you actually, it's actually the middle of the road. <laughs> okay. And, and, and I start in the middle. No, but I think you're saying that's because that is the answer. And, and it's one that we've been trying to explain to people over the year and with more, more and less success, depending on who, who catches which bits of it. So maybe if we back up, back up a bit and, and okay. unpack, um, a bit more specifically why this term Judeo-Christian is so fraught right now. Um, mm -hmm. and sort of, you can, if you can tell us a bit more about, I mean, the history, the history of. I mean, Ethiopia and its understanding of itself as a country, because you just you were just saying so. We need Mary in in Egypt mm -hmm. to understand that Israel is not a political entity, but that's gonna be that's gonna be really hard for a lot of people already, yes. um, because yes. you know, sort of arguing about whether or not Israel is properly a political entity in the United States is a <laughs> I have I have this colleague at the University of Chicago. I have, I have every. It's like if you're if you're gonna if you have any University of Chicago professor on anything that you're doing, buckle up, right? <laughs> because no, no, I just thought you know I I gotta get in trouble, and I don't even know why, right? I'm like maybe you should start with the fact that I teach at the University of Chicago, because just to give you an idea how difficult it is to be at the University of Chicago, what it's been like to survive at the University of Chicago, surrounded by, yeah. let's say, oh well, David Nirenberg to start with, right? Who writes difficult books about anti-Judaism, mm -hmm. um, but also, oh well, for example, one of my my absolute most favorite senior colleagues, may he rest in peace, Peter Novick who I knew, this guy's got to take you on a little tour here. I do have slides that will help us out of this, out of this at the moment, but I need you to understand my credentials just a sec. <laughs> so I'm not, I am doing this as a scholar, not just vibing, but kind of vibing on other people's scholarship too. So Peter Novick was very, very famous by the time I arrived at the University of Chicago. I arrived in 1994 because in 1989, he'd come out with a massive, massive book called That Noble Dream. The American historical, the objectivity question, the American historical profession, in which he showed how difficult it was for historians not to take sides as they were telling their stories of particularly like civil war history in the United States. Mm. So, and, and this was, you know, he had receptions at the American Historical Association. He told me when I you know, met him because I was like, oh, I've read your book and it's really amazing. I was fangirling a lot because his office was across the hall from me, which was which was a peril because he smoked like a chimney. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you think of Peter, you think of a cigarette and brilliance, right? He's he's smoking, smoking, smoking. And I said, you know, I read this book and I was really fascinated by because I was trying to understand at the time what medieval Christians were saying the historical sense of scripture meant. And this is topical to some of the images we have to show people. The historical sense of scripture meant when it was talking about Christ and Mary in the Song of Solomon. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have this yeah. love song, Christ and Mary, and somehow in the Song of Songs and the Song of Solomon, they saw this history, this story. Right. And so I'm reading Peter because one, it's brilliant. And two, I'm trying to figure out where in my world 
my problems of making sense of these tangled layers of reality can fit. And I said, well, you know, so, okay. So he'd written that book on that noble dream. Well, I did not realize this, but he was at that time in 1994, in the middle of writing his, his second major book of his career, which was the Holocaust in American life, <laughs> mm -hmm. which when that came out, I remember him talking about it because he got a lot of pushback from fellow Jews, among other things. Uh, most of the time, Christians just stand back and go, I don't know what to say. Um, because he was trying to understand how the Holocaust had gained the prominence that it had in American mm -hmm. life, particularly from the 1970s. Mm -hmm. And it's it's very interesting in his book because he shows that immediately after the, the, the Second World War, it was not talked about by Americans by Jews in America or by Americans generally it just it, that, you know, the, the, the focus was on the foundation of Israel, the hero heroism of, you know, creating mm. the new state and um, mm. not on the details or even the, you know, the uh, very little discussion he found, which was interesting, but he knew that because he grew up in it um, until around 1970. Uh, so, so th that's one, but at the same time, because you have Peter writing this book on the Holocaust in American life. Another of my colleagues was Rashid Khalidi, who has not been, he left and went to um, Columbia some years ago. But you may, if you are politically inclined at all, know that he was good friends with, oh, hmm, Barack Obama. <laughs> and it, Rashid and Barack were, were good friends. I was, you know, in the department with Rashid for several years. And Rashid was the most famous and prominent spokesperson on the behalf of the Palestinians. Mm -hmm. Oh dear. <laughs> this is two people. I've now named three people in my department. Can I keep going? Right. I, I, I had it. I had, oh yes. John Mearsheimer, who is not in my department, but is at the university of Chicago is now right now famous for his 2015 lectures on how the United States is misbehaving itself in the Ukraine. Uh huh. He and Steve Walt back in 2006, I think I, I forgot the date exactly wrote a book about mm, the Israel lobby. And mm -hmm. its influence on American politics. <laughs> so those of you watching who may be a little stunned by why I have such thick skin about talking about such difficult things, well, guess I, I swim with the I swim with the piranhas on a daily basis. Who I mean, you recognize I've, I've named people on four different sides of one the mo the single most explosive topic in modern political discussion and they were all at the university of chicago we haven't even started with the list of all the other people that are at the university of chicago so i've thought about it a little bit and <laughs> and also obviously also thought about it in the context of what does the middle ages have to do with modernity because it's a it's an ongoing difficulty in all of these conversations to say the middle ages contributes to helps make sense of challenges our modern dark ages right because we're in them <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, Vox was talking t today about how, you know, we're going to end up in the dark ages because all the digital um, information is being zapped, right? As in the burning of the library at Alexandria by, under, you know, by Caesar, mm -hmm. if that happened under Cleopatra, who knows? Um, that we're, we're, we're in difficult times and we're in very, very difficult conversations. And I have, it has been my contention all along that we need to learn to practice talking about these things without letting our emotions create the arguments mm. for us because they are very, very difficult for people to be dispassionate <clears throat> about. But going back to Peter Novick, he recognized that from the beginning that one, his history is always going to be principally a moral endeavor 
as a discipline, as a scholarly discipline, but also as a philosophical and intellectual discipline, which hopefully are scholarly too. And and so this is really necessary, right? We have to learn to talk about these things without bringing the heat of our own identities into our mm -hmm. formal discussions. Um, and, and, you know, and mm -hmm. I do think, I've, I've said this in the, in the past, I said it when Milo was, was getting deplatformed back in 2017. If we don't practice this in this kind of setting, right, our formal live stream or on, on campus setting, it, it people just end up screaming at each other in the streets. And now that you and I have been talking so much about the Girardian doubling and twinning and the mimetic rivalries, I think I have understanding of the mechanism for it. Um, but, okay, so prelude, <laughs> why we really thought we needed to talk about this today. And also yeah. why, if I seem hardened in some ways, like, ridiculously able to talk about stuff that other people have declared off limits. It's kind of because I'm surrounded by scholars who make that their, their um, responsibility. I mean, Rashid mm -hmm. to stand up for the Palestinians, um, you know, John Mearsheimer to say what relationship should Israel have to our political um, endeavor. Peter talking about the difficulties of thinking about the Holocaust and whether or not it should be the defining characteristic of modern American Jewish identity as it seems to have become. Um, David defining the Western traditions. Anti I mean, I class, are there questions? <laughs> I'm going to stop and read the chat for the moment. We got just a few. The chat is likewise tongue-tied, says paper-eating bear. Yes. <laughs> Casey, being friends with Christ and his mother does not make one friends in the world. Well, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have to talk about that. Casey, American Civil War. I think you meant the War of Northern Aggression. Yes. <laughs> and Casey, rhetoric is manipulative, but it works. Well, yes, right. And and indeed, throughout all of this, Kilt and I are obviously using rhetoric to kind of hope to persuade everyone to sit and listen rather than end up screaming at us first, please. We're sweet. <laughs> Look at us. We're, we're, we're sweet. No, well, she's young. I'm old, but you know, <laughs> we are trying to be ladies about this and practice the difficult, right? So that that's that's my. You have the Coptic liturgical context. I have the snake yes. pit of the piranha of, of the, the piranha University tank. of Chicago intellectual <laughs> life. Anyway, well. I mean, I was used to having this. Look, I've been very, very blessed because I got used to having these kinds of conversations with Africans who have these kinds of conversations. It's very strange that Westerners are uh, in many in, in many ways bragging that they're the uh, champions of um, free speech or champions of uh, rigorous intellectual debates, etc. And yet I've had very, very, very uh interesting chats in uh you know the middle of uh the middle of africa that i would never be able to have had here in australia just because the sensitivity uh that you've just described is so heightened and that we've sunk into uh sunk into a bit of a cultural depression where people mistake a heated conversation with the personal attack 
um, this, uh, I don't know, there's, there, there's not a, a joviality about this topic here mm. that exists where I, where I used to live and, uh, and with the people that, um, first brought, brought me into orthodoxy. So the, we, we have had a completely different exposure. I have not had the piranha environment that you've had to deal with academically. Um, I've had... I will say the piranhas tend to be on the outside. Um, yeah. because those of us in the tank are practiced at, I don't know, <laughs> jousting. I'm not sure. Right. It's like the piranha, the piranha, mm -hmm. it's like, there's a, there's a piranha level of the intensity of our intellectual engagement at Chicago. But, and, uh, you know, the opposite side, I think it sounds more like what you're experiencing in Africa. You know that it's okay because mm. it's, it's what you're, what you do, right? You, you know that you have these difficult conversations and people stare at you and say, I disagree mm. with you. And you stare back and say, yeah, I disagree with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is fine. Uh, so I, I'm just, tr I'm trying to figure out where to, where, where to, to begin to begin talking about this because for a large population of people the word judeo-christian doesn't exist um this this term that is used in the west to describe the relationship between judaism and christianity and the effect on the culture it's it's this term is not used in the, in africa judeo-christianity mm. in the cultures where uh the the origins of uh you know a, a lot of the stories are, are are from you know the biblical stories they don't use this term they have a very very different way of describing the relationship between uh people that are following either faith so maybe to give some context to begin i should probably say that the first sort of difficult uh, baptism, baptism of fire into this subject that I had was with a black Jew who came from a family that had historically practiced uh, the same Judaism as the Falasha from Ethiopia, the Beta mm. Israel, which they call Hymenot. And uh, his family had later converted to Islam for whatever reason to assimilate politically or because they actually had a, a legitimate religious co conversion, I'm not sure. But um, this gentleman had absolutely no hang-ups about talking about his family history whatsoever. He was really, you know, he was laughing with me and we were chatting and, you know, there were there were a few other, like, similarities between the two of us, this being one of them, that we, we have had this... Uh, the memory of distant relatives that are in a different religious persuasion to us. And uh, he was also a great lover of Greek culture. So we bonded over this shared, uh, you know, love of, of, of Greece and also all things Hellenic. But he was explaining to me that he and his family had, you know, had this experience that this is not rare, uh, that it is in fact quite common in that part of the world to find families which are aware of their Hebraic roots and yet have become Islamified. Mm. 
And so they have a very different relationship to conversion than maybe some people do in, in different parts of Europe. But um, because of this, because of, of, of this kind of uh, conversion experience, they also had a very interesting take on the relationship between uh, Christians and Jews and uh, Hebrews that were in different, uh, different faiths. For them, they could make a very clear storyline that connected them to the Israelite story, regardless of the faith that they're currently practicing now. And I found that really striking. Mm -hmm. Um, I found it really, uh, really beautiful also that there was not this need to deny heritage, um, where that kind of opened up the conversation to how did you guys actually get here in the first place? So when this man in particular and the other people that I was talking to were explaining the kind of cultural cartography and how heavily influenced it was by the African Jewish diaspora, that this is really only documented through oral history. I was very, very shocked. Mm. And then I had to, you know, keep digging and keep talking to people and, and, and look at, okay, well, hold on a second. They're only making religious distinctions here. They're not making racial distinctions. Right, which is a big one for a lot of um, mm. so Americans and Europeans around Judaism. Yes. Some, <laughs> some, some of what which my, my colleague David has, has written about, because he's written a lot about what happens in the 15th century and the arguments that develop in Spain over blood, the, the purity of the blood, limpieza mm -hmm. um, de sangre. And, and yes, mm -hmm. and so, but, but what you're saying is that that kind of argument doesn't develop in Africa? In the particular area that I was in, they did not have this issue mm. with uh, what, I, what I like to call racial fractions. It was never a, an issue of blood purity. Uh, it was an issue of conversion and practice of true faith. The people there were more concerned with that uh, expression of religion than they were the the ethnic their ethnic heritage. The reason why it was so strange for me in the beginning was because these were Muslims. Mm. So it's not uh, it's not like having a discussion about the the conversos in Portugal or Spain, where there's been a bit of an argument over a forced conversion and whether or not we're still Jews in blood, but we right. are religious, uh, you know, conversion. We're Christians, but we're still Jews. And no, they were um, the people I was talking to. Uh, they were very um, unfazed by having. Hebrew heritage and yet being Islamic without there being any contradiction whatsoever. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was a different environment. There were no racial fractions. Mm. So that sort of set up the beginning for me to start to look at, okay, well, what areas did you come from? Where, where have you, uh, 
or have you been scattered up into the point where you've been you know living here for several generations and uh you now have an uh an arabized name you know solomon becomes Suleimani, and uh, you know this kind mm. of integration happens um so i was pointed uh up north into the horn of africa where there's a, another enormous population of people which also have the same shared mythological heritage so um this then puts me in the <laughs> in the, in the problem of uh judeo-christian versus uh what i would call a solomonic identity more than a judeo-christian one Okay, so we have some we have some slides to help us with this, <laughs> mm. which I haven't been showing yet, because um, I this is I mean this is what we're showing as usual is that everything is way more layered and tangled than the two word answers that people yell at each other yeah. <laughs> tend to tend to suggest, and um, those of those of you in the Milo sphere know he had a debate with Destiny last night, and the, the thing about Christian nationalism. And one of the things that constantly strikes me about that is neat, pe people don't seem to know what other those terms mean, <laughs> ever. <laughs> um, and 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 you know specifically the 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 what you're talking about the racial fractions and stuff. They use Christian as if it's a racial term, like we're going to have this Christian nation when right. it's you know from your and my perspective, obviously that it's, it's meaningless. Of it's like, well, but what do you mean? You mean you are people who are all you know have Christianity. Or there's, mm -hmm. I mean, they're you know, politically Christian. Some, I think, some of what you want to show us in your in your discussions of, of Ethiopia help with this, but there's yes. there, there's also just the 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 the, the fundamental um, misunderstanding of it's what we say when we say we're a Christian nation. I think in part because and we're showing now Charlton Heston with his his. Uh, speaking oh. speaking to the cars yeah. <laughs> right he's speaking to the cars yeah. and and then there's rembrandt showing the 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 tab the rembrandt version of showing the tablets and that we have been talking about ourselves in these terms right we're a christian no we're a judeo-christian nation since right. the mid 20th century particularly after world war ii and um particularly you know it's like the the ten commandments it ten commandments as a movie is very interesting because it's so reverent in so many ways but you can feel it coming out of this this moment when the 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 political converse that the specifically the political conversation is using judeo-christian as its marker for what we hmm. in the west are as against those godless communists, right? And and it's it's in mm -hmm. uh, I was reading reading deeply this week in Peter Novick's Holocaust uh, in American Life book, and he has a very interesting footnote to a great article by Mark Silk, who I know, I, I think I've met him in person. Um, I, I know him as a great scholar of of American um, Protestantism. Um, and he, he did this article in the 1980s talking about, one, how Judeo-Christian was falling out of favor. It wasn't really a term that people liked yeah. anymore. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Clearly the 80s are back with us and not just in the music that they have in Gal Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Um, that the, 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 the heyday of the term Judeo-Christian is specifically as a political weapon against Soviet atheism, against, against communism. Mm -hmm. And... So I think people people who invoke it now invoke it in the same breath as saying America, 
right? But in in that yeah. in that um, you know we want our power back. We want our uh, which we're not going to get back, guys. Just 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 saying we're in we're in hum- humility time now. Um, that well. And then if you start, you start, you know, studying the use of the term, I, I, the, you showed me an, an interesting article and I went and, and looked up one of the things that it suggested. Oh, the ABC yeah, one. Yeah, this ABC yeah. one. And one of the things it does yeah, is yeah, go yeah. to Google Ingrams and find out when exactly Judeo-Christian actually appears as a term. And the, the I think the, the author of that article is a, is a scholar of Judaism. I wasn't sure. Yes. Emeritus professor and professor Philip Almond, emeritus professor and professorly professorially research fellow in the Institute for Advanced Studies in the Humanities. It's written about God and the devil and the afterlife. Okay. Um, but anyway, he went and looked at the Google Ingram and said, look, you know, if you search back and he did it from 1800, you don't find any use of Judeo-Christian, you know, from 1800 up to around the 1940s right and then it goes whoo up in the, the late 1940s drops back down goes way up later well the thing is if you expand google Ingram to go all the way back to the beginning of the english archive you don't get it anywhere there either right as a term it's completely tied to this political usage from the mid-20th century and um, professor almond in this this abc article because he's talking about Australia and whether or not Australia should be using this term points out, you know, there's problems with it on all sides, right? Because it, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, in the context of the longer history that David talks about of the anti-Judaism, it's in the context of, I mean, this is a curious one. Christians actually, it's philo-Semitic in the sense that you love the, you love the the Semitic people, but you pray for their conversion from Judaism, which is therefore still anti-Jewish because you're saying, you know, faith in Christ is necessary um, and he concludes with saying, you know, we shouldn't be using this term at all, which fits more with what Mark Silk was saying they were trying to do in the 80s, um, saying, mm-hmm. and this was a good passage that Almond wrote, um, at the end of the day, or the end of the world for that matter, the term Judeo-Christian is one we might well do to abandon. It conceals the Western history of anti-Judaism. Even when in philo-Semitic mode it appears to extol the virtue of Jewish identity, it is deeply anti-Judaic. Simply put, then, there is no such thing as the Judeo-Christian tradition. It is a modern invention. There always has been a Jewish tradition and a Christian tradition, or more accurately, varieties of Jewish and Christian traditions. I, I don't know. The, the plural game is, is one that the my colleagues in the Divinity School do a lot in Christianity. Christianities, but anyway. Are we Christianities or Christ- are you and I different? Whatever. Um, the term Judeo-Christian tradition continues the suppression of Jewishness by hiding the essential differences between Judaism and Christianity, one of which is that each denies the validity of the other, which I think is very fair. <laughs> as, as Rabbi mm-hmm. Eliezer Berkowitz puts it, quote, Judaism is Judaism because it rejects Christianity and Christianity is Christianity because it rejects Judaism. Okay. Does that hold in in the? <laughs> well, no. I mean, it's it's and indeed this is the kind of thing you just want to say. It's like really, you guys, that they they're literally well, and the 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 problem is, is it two sides of the same coin, right? And you start playing the all religions teach the same thing, and aren't they monotheistic, and therefore they really basically have this one minor little disagreement. <laughs> 
the Trinity, um, <laughs> or are they, you know, completely separate traditions? Or are they, you know, developed in? But anyway, what 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 hmm. struck me when you talk about the the Coptic tradition and the and the conversations you've had is that even those lines aren't quite as clearly drawn. No, um, and I think this is because in the uh, in the African world they are. This is a gross generalization, but I, I have to do it for the sake of this conversation. Sometimes um, there is a memory of the interactions between the Abrahamic faiths that is different that is talked about differently than how they're discussed in the Western world. Um, one of the most important things that I could use to highlight this is um, in the Islamic religion and in the story of the Hajj, the Muslims, they leave Saudi and they go into Ethiopia to get refugee uh, refuge under the the christian negus of ethiopia because they're being persecuted back home in arabia and they have to famously answer the questions of the negus uh, of ethiopia the king negus is king and uh and explain their theology and explain their uh opinion of christ and his mother mm. and after they explain their reverence for the mother of the lords, uh, they're allowed to stay. So they're given refugee status in Ethiopia. Now, this is a huge event in the Islamic world and incredibly, like, you you cannot, uh, to, to imagine that Westerners don't understand the importance of this event, event is kind of mind-blowing mm -hmm. because without this happening, there would be no Islam. There would be no Islamic community. The Ummah, the Islamic, annihilated. So it was our relationship to the Muslims of Arabia that formed the beginning of this dynamic between uh, the Islamic world and the Christian world. And it happened in Coptic Ethiopia, mm. which is why we have a similarity in prayer practice because, uh, you know, as our tradition teaches, we taught them how to to uh, pray in the way that we do with the uh, with the uh, forget the word now it starts with P. <laughs> you know, people are on the floor. <laughs> Prayer man. Um, oh no, I can't. Uh, Proskinesis. Proskinesis. Yeah. Um. So so there's this. So there's this kind of relationship. So this these are the things that are talked about that are not really discussed very much in the Western world, but when it comes to the the distinction between Judaism and Christianity in the context of Coptic Ethiopia, it is a very, very different conversation because Ethiopian Copts reference the New Testament story of the conversion of the Black Hebrew by Philip the Eunuch mm. as their, as their uh, genesis. Uh, as the beginning of their uh, realization of Christ as Messiah of, of the Israelites. So in this way, because they're celebrating what happened in the book of Acts as the fulfillment of the 
very long waiting period of the Hebrews in exile in Africa for the Messiah. They've received the message of the eunuch and integrated this story into, into the mythology of them as Israel waiting for this news. And they haven't discarded the Israelite identity in adopting Christianity. It wasn't an either or choice. For them, it was, we are black Jews, we are black Israel, we are black Hebrews. They don't even use the word black. I mean, this is an American term. Right. For them, we are Israelites, Beta Israel, House of Israel. We are the House of Israel in exile. And now our Messiah has come. And so we're receiving it. So the expression of the faith is not referred to in this contrast between Judaism and Christianity. It is that now our Israelitish religion has been fulfilled mm -hmm. with the messianic uh, gospel, the, with the with the with the good news of the Savior, the good news of the Master Rabbi of Israel having incarnated. Mm. Um, and so the expression of the Christian faith in this part of the world is much more Semitic than in other areas. It's much more um, rooted in Hebrew and Israelite practices than you would see in many other places. And it does look very, um, it does look very foreign for uh, for modern people to to look at it from the outside because it is so ancient. Okay, so, I mean, one of the things that David does in his book shows that, you know, that the New Testament itself is anti-Jewish, anti-Judaic, anti-Judaic, um, you know, that Paul in his letters identifies the Jews as the ones who are unable to see Christ properly. Um, and mm. that the Gospels, particularly um, John, John's very blunt in its naming of the Jews, so that they are that the op, you know the opposition to Jesus is the Jews, uh, and you know presumably you all read the same texts. So how yes. how are those? How do those? Because that that's one of the arguments that's made in the West. It's like because of those texts in the New Testament, Christianity is 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 you know well. I mean, it, David, to his credit, has always been against the kind of slippery slope to the Holocaust um, argument in, mm -hmm. in our scholarship, so that particularly in his first book, In Communities of Violence, he tries to show in the Middle Ages that there's, you know, there's no there's no necessary end point in the Holocaust in, in these mm -hmm. persecution narratives. Um, but on the other hand, it's it's very hard for those those in the West to see it as any other way, right? It's like, we, but no matter what, from the Gospel of John to Auschwitz, straight line. No. Um, <laughs> uh, really? So, <laughs> no. I, How dare you? <laughs> too much shits for that. Um, so I got... So I got the I have got the word in my in my mind that I should use because I think it is probably the, the the most important way of kind of framing the Coptic experience of Heimen, which means is how we say religion. Mm. It's translated to English as religion, but it really means the living faith, the Heimenot. And if we talk about Islam, we say the the Muslim Heimenot. If we're talking about Judaism, we'll we'll say like. Jewish Hymenot, if we're talking about Christian, 
we say Christian Hymenot or just Hymenot, and everyone is referring to their own as if it's the real one. The relationship between us and the uh, and the Jewish tradition is a sectarian issue. It's not this potentially genocidal racial problem, mm. because even in Christ's time, you see that the the Hebrews in Judea were already in a lot of sectarian arguments. They had Sadducees, they had Pharisees, they had the Zealots, they had the Essenes, they had all of these. It was like this little cauldron of sects that popped up all the time. This is normal in Israelite history to have these competing sects, different cults that are imported for, I mean, a large stretch of time. Uh, the Northern Kingdom of Israel basically abandoned the, the the temple religion you know and went uh, wholeheartedly into the practice pagan practice the gentile practice of the nations around them so there's never been a moment where there have not been competing sects in the israelite experience with the exception of the exodus when moses gave the gave the law to the people mm. But it's sectarian. So I think having this conversation about the hymenot of the different people is more about how you're interpreting the law and how we've either received a fulfillment of it or not um that it's not a gospel of john to gas chambers it's uh gospel of john to kingdom or not mm. it's it's kingdom or no kingdom but there is no uh discussion on uh, uh racial distinction uh well, I th the thing is, I think you know, of, in the internet world, the, the, David David's account in Antijudaism actually fits to a certain degree E. Michael Jones's account. It comes out in Spain, in the, mm. in those debates around whether or not the people who converted in the 1390s actually sincerely converted, and therefore, mm. and again, we're back to that problem: the Christian society and whether or not you can trust each other socially, as opposed to what you're describing. So now I'm curious is like hold this thought because I have some, I want to read some more from the the Almond essay but yes. um the the Christian nationalist argument is going to say we can only exist as a society if we have a common religion which I'm kind of you know I, I'm kind of inclined to but I think you know the, the, the state creates a common religion all by itself I and mean, that would be another topic but um yeah. that I mean, within within the Western development of Christianity and Judaism, they're not they're not going to sit side by side calmly waiting to figure out who's right in in quite those terms. I mean, that that so what Almond says, and this I think is all. He, it's a very nice essay that you you found because it's blunt, right? It's like it's it's, yeah. it's worth emphasizing that Judaism and Christianity are more or less the same age, which modern yes, Americans often get 
befuddled by because they think Christian uh, Judaism is the the elder brothers, right? It's like n no, that's historically inaccurate. No, it's worth emphasizing that Judaism and Christianity are more or less the same age and share a common religious heritage, which I thought was a well put, right? Both arose mm -hmm. in the first century. Yes. It says CE, but both both arose in the first century out of the Hebrew Scriptures, known to Jews as the Tanakh, and comprised of the teaching, Torah, the prophets, and the writings. What Christians would call the Old Testament arose out of these Hebrew texts. To them, the Christians eventually added a collection of books from the first century or so of the common era called the New Testament. Both Judaism and Christianity became religions based predominantly on these texts and not on the dominant temple tradition, temple religion of the Jews in Jerusalem as it was at the time of Jesus. In the case of Christianity, this was because it determined its future to be not in Israel, but in the wider Greco-Roman world which I guess goes is different from the Coptic understanding of Israel. Right? Yes, that's very different. In the case mm, of Judaism, yes. it was because its future was determined for it in the Greco-Roman world by the destruction of the temple at Jerusalem by the Romans and the subsequent expulsion of the Jews from Israel in 70. So although Judaism and Christianity have a common ancestry, they both became religions of the books. See, I disagree with that. The religion of the book phraseology is not, I mean, Christianity is technologically the codex religion, right? The the codex mm -hmm. but it's liturgical as well as book and yes. of course the protestants pick up on the book part but the the medieval tradition has has more than just books but um blah blah okay so i think this is where the ignorance of coptic and orthodox history comes mm. in because the uh we're not just people of the book we don't we don't reference it like uh you know this term is actually an Islamic right. term ll people of the book um but this it's more protestant approach to christianity than it does the the, the ancient catholic one um so this this i suppose is why i always i've always uh been emphasizing it since i came to understand it myself that the expression of christianity in the greco-roman world versus the coptic world means that the uh, abandoning of the temple tradition in the West did not happen in the Coptic mm. world. Um, this, the, the writer there um, has highlighted that the Christianity comes from the temple tradition. Judaism is contemporaneous with the beginning of Christianity. They're both coming from the, the shared uh shared foundational religious environment that was the temple tradition it all went back to temple religion israelite temple religion had the priesthood and the sacrificial system more importantly than anything that temple religion was entirely anchored in the experience of the hebrews coming out of egypt in the exodus and then having moses set up the institution of the tabernacle in the wilderness so where you have a shared foundation and temple religion, you have people that have an identity which is anchored in temple religion, and that itself is anchored in the mm. Exodus. There is no divorcing it from the Exodus. So in the Coptic world, because of this, because the reception of Christianity happened messianically, and not through Gentiles converting other Gentiles, shall I say? Mm. 
there's been a very strong retention of this link between Hebrew Christian, Israelite Christian, Solomonic Christian, and Exodus, and the experience of Hebrews in Egypt. And then the formation of the people of Israel in their reality as a commonwealth, and then later as kingdom, and then later in their relationship inside Israel, our civil war, because this is kind of the 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 Old Testament um, documentation of sectarian issues, just within Israel itself, just with with the Israelites themselves. Mm. That is eliminated in Christ. Hopefully, this is making sense. The well, it's blowing my mind because I realized, yes, of course, it's like Egypt. Egypt returns to Egypt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> we go, we go full circle. Yeah. Yeah. And nowhere, nowhere yeah. else in the world can that have happened because Moses led the people out of out of Egypt. I mean, it, it's inter yeah. it's interesting in the in the exegetical tradition. I said that's what I study the hermeneutics, fancy word. Mm -hmm. um, the the so the the Christianity in in the Greco Roman context, and the Greco Roman context isn't that is isn't as cut off from the Egyptian as as later storytelling makes it sound because the major schools of yeah. commentary were in alexandria um mm. people like origin um and therefore the allegorical readings that i was studying right that i i realized i appreciate now like mm. that song of songs commentaries that become so important in the north as expressions of the relationship between christ and and mary are modeled on origin who is in alexandria <laughs> reading the song of songs yeah. as a drama of love between God and the and the soul or God, you know, Christ and the church, and therefore it is Egyptian. <laughs> it's it's. Mm. I mean, the Alexandrian Alexandrian Jews are the ones that one are translating the Septuagint in the first place. So, you know, the the, the Greco Roman world has the scriptures in Greek, comes from Alexandria. It's it's mm. like it's all Egyptian, but we we've lost a a, a degree of our sense of that. yeah place, i mean the protestant root, world yeah the the protestant world has lost the sense of it i think because it's eliminated the iconography that would recall it all mm. the time um because we you know we've, we've got the images in there in the in the in the stack for today but uh, this, this one actually we're worked at we're now looking at holy prophet solomon Wisdom hath builded her house. Oh, it worked once. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes our sometimes Finally. our streams of pictures and conversation cross. Um, yeah the the icons themselves are reminders of the Old Testament world um, in a way that just reading the just reading. A physical copy of the Bible.
Unfortunately, I have a, I have, I have a terrible, oh. I have terrible news for you. You've become an icon. I need you to drop out and come. Oh no, you're moving. You're moving again. Okay. As, oh. as, <laughs> as you were doing that description of e icons, you were in fact immobile. How appropriate is that? <laughs> but what I'm, it's what so I'm meta. thinking is, of course, all of this was still in the medieval Christian tradition in the wet in the north. Mm. I mean, it's like yeah. you have an you have a, it's like the juxtapositions here. What I can say, hey, our streams have converged now. This is showing, in fact, an image of Solomon with the Queen of Sheba, who's dark in in the picture from um, an altarpiece by Nicholas of Verdun, which is in the north. Right. It's it's uh, mm. or I think it's an altarpiece. Maybe it's a reliquary. I forget, but I remember that 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 most of what you describe. You and I have talked about this before. Most of what you described to yes. me. It was known throughout the the northern the you know the west mm -hmm. through the Middle Ages that it's lost in the Reformation, um, but it was mm -hmm. it was part of the tradition throughout the, the the High Middle Ages and that feeling of you know the Old Testament is 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 necessary to understanding the the New Testament always. Mm -hmm. And and the thing is, I think actually the Protestants, even in the in the early modern period, had much more of a strong sense of that. That it like when it breaks, it, it starts breaking in the nineteenth century with the German new criticism that I keep referring to. That I'm reading um, David Strauss, David Friedrich Strauss, but mm. this historicizing of the text, which weirdly enough loses this whole history of the actual. Um, grounding of the stories in the places that people always remember. It's like they're grounded in Egypt. They're grounded in the the fulfillment of these stories in us, right? I, mm -hmm. The more you and I talk, it's like, I don't know why I, I get, I, I feel you're familiar and modern American Christianity is utterly alien and I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, well, that's probably because uh we haven't had protestantism um we haven't we haven't gone through a, a period of uh that you know that kind of um sectarian splitting um the iconoclasm mm. we we've not we've not had an iconoclastic crisis in the coptic world they did in uh in the eastern orthodox churches in in um, you know, the Byzantine churches, but Coptics have never had an iconoclastic crisis. So we've not, I think it's probably that we've not lost our imagery and also that especially with the, the reception of uh, the, Aksum, the Aksumite Empire receiving Christianity as early as it did, it really anchored the um it really anchored the coptic culture in this uh living remembrance of uh why we all ended up orthodox christians in the first place mm. hopefully that makes sense um we would not be christian coptic christians without having the relationship to Israel that we do, both in being Israel and also Israel having fled Egypt and then returned to it at a later time. Right. So that might be why. It's a kind of um, 
ethnogeographical uh what are they called you know when you put the you put all the stuff in a box and bury it time capsule i can't thank you <laughs> i'm not very I'm, I'm having blocks today it's like an ethnogeographical you're, time you're, capsule. You're, you're thinking in images, not not words. That's okay. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, she understands me. Otherwise, I'd have no, no one to translate. Um, yeah, I think this is probably why. Yeah. Um, well, as you're talking, so now I have a picture of John Robinson's something. The meeting of King, King Solomon and Queen of Sheba, and you circled something that she's holding. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I found that, uh, was a stage performance. That's a reenactment of the meeting of Shiva with Solomon and the dancers are holding this, uh, stuff and it's got the, the two snakes winding up. It's mm. the medicinal symbol, uh, which I thought was really interesting because then it reinvokes our pharmacia issue. Well, but, right um, now it also invokes the, the twinning problem, right? So we've got silent Draco, appropriately, yes. Draco, um, commenting, odd parallel between Protestantism, book and commentary, and Judaism and the Talmud. But the liturgical and temple link degrades. Mm -hmm. But we will say this as Catholics, right? It's it's in the sacraments. It's in the liturgy. And yes. that has been always one of our challenges to explain what what is the liturgy to people who are more inclined to look for exposition of rules and every mm. and everything turns into exposition of rules when you end up in arguments about this in the united states and i'm not as familiar with what goes on in europe sort of get shimmers and twists of that through colleagues in different ways but you know the united states all of these christian nationalism arguments one that as i said they they seem not to be able to define neither term um they seem to be worrying about i mean it's like king solomon seems like a good guy right he makes good judgments why would you want a theocratic country but <laughs> um that they, they they seem to always go to well what laws would you have to live under mm -hmm. um so that you know christian to christian nation to I guess I'm talking out loud, a Christian nation to people in, in our American conversation turns into a conversation about the law when mm. what I think of it as from, you know, the medievalist perspective of commentary and storytelling and immersing yourself in the, in the worship is it's, you are, you know, Christian religion is how you worship how you worship shapes your mm -hmm. your life and your joy and your responses to God, and maybe you know it, it it shapes different possibilities of political arrangement, but it's not about the law as such, right? It's like mm -hmm. the law may issue from convictions that you have about wanting not to sin, but it doesn't it doesn't come from the law as such, and the the American conversation always turns into a legal conversation, which, you know, makes sense from our perspective because mm -hmm. the law is all we have. We have no king. We have no church. We, <laughs> I mean, we, yeah. like we're, 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 you know, Charlton Heston and his Ten Commandments, that's basically all we have. <laughs> <laughs> the drive through Exodus. The drive, yeah, the drive through <laughs> Exodus. But what we have is law, right? I and mean, we have a very, you know, yeah. performatively very powerful sense of the sac sac sacredness of the courtroom. But mm. I don't know that 
most Americans, I mean, Catholics do, but I think it's inarticulate, right? I think it, I, I, it, it's hard for them to express why they go to mass regularly because mm. it happens at a, at a not verbal level. Yes. Um, well, it's, it's temple practice. Right. And it's, it's faith expressed through the institution of priesthood, which is Israelitish. It's not people of the book. We pick up the Bible and suddenly we become Christian. So this is the difference between the Protestant approach and the Catholic approach, which is the apostolic approach. Um, and because Copts recognize St. Mark as our, uh, our great uh, apostle, uh, the, the great evangelizer that converted the Egyptians, we also recognize him as as a Levite, you know, mm. he was the tribe of Levi, a tribe of Levi, uh, the priestly tribe. He came from that temple priesthood tradition as well. And so he's the one who in our tradition writes the liturgy, teaches Copts to worship liturgically, which is in the, you know, in the tradition of temple service. But the difference being that now we're no longer slaughtering animals because we have a messianic fulfillment of the law of Moses. And now what we're doing is uh, celebrating that um, final sacrifice. You know, it's a it's a it's a memorial service instead of being a of animal slaughter so this again it kind of is in the background as well um that we have received temple tradition and we have received the fulfillment of 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 israel the consolation of israel and so this in our in our psalmodies and our prayers and in our liturgy and everything we're constantly referring to it who has liberated Israel, he who has liberated Israel, you know, which is us. So when we're in the liturgy, we are referring to ourselves as ourselves, not thinking Christian and Jew, but we're thinking Israel, who has been redeemed by the Messiah and those Hebrews who have not yet received mm -hmm. him. And that, that, it's probably the most important thing, the way that I can explain how to think liturgically about this problem is different to thinking in a formulaic way where it's about rules and who's following the rules and who's refusing to follow the rules because Christian nationalism in the Coptic world is very, very different. We have apostolic succession, an apostle of, of Christ coming to convert the Egyptians first, but also the Ethiopians receiving Philip the Apostle's uh, baptized eunuch, you know, so it's like a direct apostolic conversion process that's going on in the Coptic world that's been uh, documented since the beginning of, of, uh, of the Christian uh, reality. And an entire empire in Africa formally declaring itself a Christian empire, which is Axum, which... It, 
I mean, it's quite relevant to Christian nationalism conversation mm. because most people in the West don't even know what Axum was. Uh, they don't know anything about the Axumite Empire, even though at the time it was classed as one of the foremost powerful empires in the world alongside Rome. But this was one of the first places on earth where an entire nation or an empire, empire nation, nation empire, received Christianity and formalized it and put the cross on the coin. So the experience in the Coptic world of these kinds of conversations on, you know, who is Hebrew, who is not, Jewish, Christian, the dis those distinctions and also what it means to be a Christian nation, it looks very different to what people are talking about right now in the New World West, right. you know, post-Enlightenment, previously Protestant Western countries. Yeah, but what's interesting is the way you're describing it sounds like what Bede says happened with the Anglo-Saxons. <laughs> um, I mean, that they get the mission, mission, the missionaries um, in the sixth century and the people convert. And so the nation, and that, mm. that is Bede's whole point. It's the Church of the English. And so mm. nation, but it, it, this is, it's, it's something that I'm trying, it, it's unfortunate when the word, the, the words equivocate, right? It's like you, you can say things yes. and then people can hear three different meanings and they are distinct and being able to articulate why they're distinct is always very challenging. Yes. Um, to have a people who all worship together, who all worship Christ is a Christian mm -hmm. nation, but in the American political context, everybody hears it as the law, the law, right? The, the and and indeed, and mm. what's ironic about that is, of course, early English law under the Anglo-Saxon Christian kings was codified as a Christian law. So it's 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 maybe understandable that they get there. So Silent Draco had a, an answer mm. thinking about this sigh, the inner German once again. Law would be all right, tempered by traditions, but the devolution to rules is the killer. Casey says, especially mm -hmm. when the rules are unevenly applied. Silent Draco, yep. And who applies the rules for their gain? Well, this is somehow we, I mean, I, we need to break out of this definition because otherwise we don't, we never get as English speakers to the joy of the the liturgy, the joy of the worship to say what it means to say we are saved through Christ. I mean, I, in talking, in listening to Milo Destiny conversation, just as an example, I was feeling like, you know, one, I mean, the, the proper answer for all Christians to saying you want everybody to be Christian is, well, yes, <laughs> of course we do. <laughs> Not because we want an empire and it gives us power, and control over everybody, which is always what everyone imagines, right? It's like, oh, if everybody's Christian, then everybody's, you know, under the, the iron iron thumb, which, you know, ironically, as we said at the beginning, that Judeo-Christian in the United States is used as a political term to fight Soviet totalitarianism, right? It's saying, we will not mm -hmm. be totalitarian if we're Judeo-Christian, because Judeo-Christian means you stand against the totalitarians. And so the only way anybody can hear mm -hmm. it now is, like, contaminated by that association that, oh, well, if, you know, it, so again, these, these twin snakes problems that somehow they, they, yes. they constantly turn into each other. So if you say Judeo-Christian to oppose totalitarianism, the only people think people can hear is it's totalitarian if you want to be Judeo-Christian. Um, mm. 
which of course it, it fits nothing with what I'm thinking of when I say I want you, I want everyone to be Christian because I want everyone to have the vision I suppose of what it means to feel um I would say to feel God's love but that that's 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 trite I mean it's true but it's trite uh the, the vision that I'm trying to show when I'm teaching Tolkien's vision of the being in the story mm. and being um, swept up in this creation and that we turn to Christ as our maker, um, the, the God, God, the maker in joy and thanksgiving. And yes, I want everybody to be doing that because then we understand how to live together that we've, you know, Christ, mm. Christ gives us sort of, got a new meditation on the gospels as, as a fight book rules for rules for fighting right? in the in the sense of rules for how to deal with the difficult engagements that we end up with each other in um so not fight but that it it, it always strikes me when you're describing the way the cops understand the liturgy and the service and the temple service and the service and oh yes liturgy means service that is mm -hmm much closer to what I see in the medieval Western tradition of Christianity than this, you know, political alignment, mm. obviously, even, even mm. though what you're describing right now, we have some pictures of people bowing before Kings and King Christian Kings. And what does that mean? Um, that in our modern political vocabulary we constantly default to nothing but the state in control and therefore if the state is you know it's a it's a christian totalitarianism mm. well um again that's really the uh, sort of a wind back to the beginning of the conversation but the you know the ethiopian coptic experience during the anti-fascist movement mm -hmm. I mean, we are the original anti-fascists. It was Coptic Ethiopia, which had an emperor, Christian emperor ruling the country, um, that inspired the anti-fascist movement in America. Uh, it was the Christian, the original Christian nation of Abyssinia, Ethiopia, that was anti-fascist to the core and which famously, you know, broke the, broke the yoke of the, um, the black shirts that had been sent in uh, by Mussolini to, you know, finish off the colonial project in Africa. So, again, I've been in trouble for this because I talk, I, you know, uh, many years ago I tried to have this conversation with people here. And the problem is the equivocation. Mm -hmm. The language is we have a poverty of language and people are unwilling to sit down and have very long conversations the way you and I are doing now to see what kind of language are we speaking? Because just like that word Heimanot, well, depending on which religion you're in, it means three different things to three different kinds of people. A Muslim Heimanot, a, Judeish, a Jewish Heimanot, Christian Heimanot, three different understandings of the same word. So I was trying to explain in my head what being a nationalist meant to me and linking it to the experience of Ethiopia defeating the fascist power of Italy. And people lost their mind. They went <laughs> mad. 
And I couldn't imagine why. I mean, defeating the power that actually called themselves fascist. Right? That they had the definition and everything. Yes, actual true Italian defined fascism because of Fasces, because of the Romans. Yeah. Yep. But I got in trouble for it, so I thought, okay, I've 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 hit a grenade. I have no idea what I've right. done. And then after a while, you know, uh, uh, after you know several years after this has happened, realizing that there is no, um, how should I say it? There's no mainstream conversation happening in the conservative uh, circles of Western culture right mm-hmm. now which are referencing the experience of uh, Coptic uh, people in Ethiopia fighting the fascist powers and not referencing Christian empires that existed before the collapse uh, of, uh, you know, the old world into this massive global conflict, Mm. you know, it was like a... It was like Armageddon, uh, you know, fascist, anti-fascist Armageddon, but we had Christian empires, we had Russia, that were a Christian empire, mm. and then we also had the Ethiopia Christian Empire, the world's oldest Christian empire. So this is bubbling back. In you know, this is bubbling in the background. We had a Christian nation. Wow, what? Well, where did they come from? How did they end up a Christian mm. nation? This um, three thousand year old monarchy that was uh, so Christian that it had crosses on its flag. The imperial flag of Ethiopia is covered in crosses. But the other thing that, you know, is important in the conversation about, you know, what it means to be Judeo-Christian, imperial Ethiopia also had stars of David all over its flag. (laughs) And it had as its emblem, as the imperial emblem of of Ethiopia, the Solomonic dynasty has the Lion of Judah Mm. holding a scepter with a cross on the end of it. So just in that flag, we have in my, I cannot emphasize it enough, just in that one flag, we have the perfect definition of what it means to be Judeo-Christian. This is a completely different conversation than what is happening in the West. Mm. Instead of a racial issue, it's not even a sectarian issue. It's the fulfillment of Israelite identity in Christ, in the priesthood, which practices in continuity from the ancient temple, which is in continuity from the tabernacle of Moses. And so it's in that context that I have this kind of conversation when I'm discussing Judaism, Christianity, Islam, it's Ethiopic, which is Solomonic. And I think this is why I've got in trouble with so many people because unless you've been to this part of the world and you've spent time with people that are from this part of the world, this seems, uh, I mean, it's a foreign language. We're speaking a foreign language. I was lucky enough to be catechized in this kind of environment and to also spend time with people from there with other Semites from the West Mm. who had also found themselves there and were having the conversations at the same time. So uh, avoiding the 
avoiding the, the tension over suddenly there being a racial problem. We were all sitting down together as Solomonic people having a discussion over sectarian issues and what it meant to practice religion that was connected to uh, Solomonic people. Hopefully that makes sense. Okay, so now I'm showing, I think, people with a camel and the visit of the Magi together, which is the, the, the anchoring oh, yeah, of yeah. these stories. It, what occurs to me while you're, while you're describing that is that you're rooted in the place I mean, you're not because you're in Australia, <laughs> but, but so you're you're I'm just an, as I'm much a part of us as, as the rest of you. It's like the 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 cops are rooted in the place where the story came from, much more yeah. deeply. Whereas Americans, I mean, so I mean, Vox talks about the American Indians being displaced, and that's something I, you know, am familiar with from where I've lived in the country, starting in Albuquerque, New Mexico, therefore among the only peoples in the United States now who weren't displaced from their ancestral homes, the Pueblo. Everybody else got, you know, shoved off land and moved around and lied to and treaties broken. And Oh, yes. <laughs> and my, you know, my heritage is of peoples that moved from their ancestral homes um, I mean, the Jews in the West, that's their, I mean, of, among among other things, their self-definition is they were driven mm -hmm. out from is, you know, Palestine by the Romans and then move around in different parts of the Mediterranean. And then in ways that are very unclear, I think even in the, even for the professional historians end up on the Rhine in Germany in settlements mm -hmm. from the early 11th century. It's like they're, they're, the, they don't have a, a a sense of being in place, which is a longing for both of us, both for Americans and, um, both for Christian American Christians and American Jews, and you know that that then you know just as you're speaking, so it makes sense why Israel became such a focus. It's a pilgrimage focus, obviously. It had you know been a pilgrimage focus for the the British, the English speaking um, people since antiquity. Since, since the you know conversion of the Anglo-Saxons, mm -hmm. they, they immediately start traveling to Rome and then going on to Jerusalem and having pilgrimages. There's a lot of imagination layered onto belonging in that region. Mm -hmm. And what you're describing with the cops is they never left. <laughs> um, and that, you know, that there's, there's comings and goings of some people from Egypt and the Exodus, but then there's the return I mean, as I was saying, the, the, the Jews in Alexandria create the great exegetical schools, like Philo of Alexandria's allegorical readings turn into the major Christian readings because they're kind of reading the same way he did. And um, the, you know, that you have these, I think I, I those next, yes, the, the flight into Egypt of the Holy Family, that they go to Egypt, mm -hmm. there's, you know, they can because there's, communities of people that they could live with um in in alexandria and other parts of egypt so it's 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 this i mean the world we've been talking about the the displacements of people constantly with colonialism and the empire and now free trade mm -hmm. and free you know free movements of people thanks to labor movements and the the horror and chaos means nobody is home nobody has any homes mm-hmm Nobody can afford to buy them anymore because of loans and usury and 
<laughs> you know, the, 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 I, and it's interesting, the flight into Egypt is one of the, you know, the displacement stories, but it's also a going home. Mm -hmm. And then because Mary is the ark for Christ, he's always home <laughs> when he's with her. Yes. Um, we're homesick. Yes, very much so. I mean, I felt it like the first time I went into a liturgy. Uh, I was, you know, it was English speaking. I think it was in Ge'ez, which is the liturgical, you know, like high liturgical language. It's a Ethiopian's version of Latin, you know, it's the old, the old language, old Semitic language. But uh, it was a wonderful feeling because I thought, oh, I'm mm. home. You know, and people will hear me say that and go, oh, okay, you're just, you know, you're insane. Well, no, because it was, it was sort of like, this is the temple. I'm inside now. Yeah. I can feel it. I'm back home. And I was with my people, which in a post-enlightenment way of thinking makes no sense whatsoever because everyone would say, oh, what's your passport? Oh, you're Australian. Mm -hmm. Who are these people? They're African. You're the palest person in the Southern Hemisphere and you're surrounded by all of these people from Abyssinia and you're saying you're home and you're with your own people. But in terms of the... In terms of the spiritual reality of Israel as temple kingdom, it makes mm. sense. And I felt it when I was in that liturgy. And that is why um, that is why it's, it, had, it had such a profound impact on me because uh, it's real religion because it is temple tradition. And... Um, for people who are displaced, and we have been displaced many times, <laughs> the, I suppose, especially in a globalized world, there is a rage about what has happened to everybody. Borders have been broken up mm. and demographics are changing. And then there's this um, denial of, of, of even ethnic reality because everybody's so terrified of, 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 of difference, even though they're celebrating it constantly, you know, everyone, everyone loves diversity, but they're constantly equivocating. So it's like, what mm. are you doing? You're homogenizing. But, um, yes, I've been thinking about, we said this a bit ago with everybody celebrating mm. diversity so much because we don't have any. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> uh, it, it's just, it, that's the vending machine right, effect, right. you know. It's like you, Coke you, or Pepsi. You serve, you serve yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. You, you you serve empire, and you become uh, you become a subject of empire, and then everything homogenizes because that's what empires do. But within uh, within the liturgy, I saw it. I saw the retention of identity that wasn't. Um, wasn't fictional it was apostolic i saw the retention of the reality of our people who have been flung into different regions that have retained apostolic practice 
which is celebrating um, celebrating Christ's incarnation through Mary as mother of Israel, you know. Um, it just, it, it, it affected me profoundly. It affected me profoundly and I couldn't leave it. It was completely different conversation to moving to a different country because you're, you, you know, you're vibing with that culture a little better. It wasn't like this. I understood that there had been a continuity of tradition and that people in the world had retained the temple tradition. And this was what I felt I was starving for in my experience as an Australian because we don't have it. We don't have anything like this. Uh, this is a post-enlightenment post world. <laughs> yeah. The culture down here, I mean, we don't, we, have, we don't have a Middle Ages period, you know. It's a similar thing to America. But we, we, have don't have, we don't have some faux Middle Ages. I went to the church in Sydney, St. Mary's. And it, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's gothic appropriately, <laughs> right? Yeah. Gothic revival. Right. So you yeah. have faux Middle Ages like but we, we do here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, we, we've kind of we've redone it as a nod to it, but we don't actually have the Middle Ages here. So all of the all of the reference points that exist in Australia that point the culture back to its roots, you mm. know, the Western the Western expression of this Solomonic religion, they're not here except for in the liturgy. That's the only way you'll find it. Because Well, I'd say it'd be only in the the liturgy is the only thing that carries this kind of rootedness anyway. Mm. Yeah. Um which is what you were yeah. saying about Christian nationalism, uh, that this isn't rules. It's not formulaic. It's not a, a constitution. It's not contract law. Right. It's, um, it's prayer. It's worship. It's building reality through the worship of God. Building, uh, not, I can't even say building reality. Reality is reality, but it's understanding reality through the worship of God. So... This is a very different thing than what a lot of people are talking about when they want to have Christian countries. It's a right. very, very different thing. Yeah. So this is I, this you've inadvertently but happily answered one of the criticisms I also have when people try. Every all religions teach the same things. Like no, they don't. Um, hmm. They very much don't. But there is this. So there's a great, I, I spent a lot of time when I first came to the, United, the, the University of Chicago, the now not Oriental Institute, and I forgot what they renamed it. They renamed it this last week. This name hasn't stuck with me. West West Asia and North Africa belong in the, the title, in the subtitle. Mm -hmm. um, that Egypt has this allure and has for Europe all you know all along napoleon tries conquering it and makes a big description of it and that's the very interesting engravings of the monuments which are buried in sand because of course during the, the prior to the modern archaeology nobody's digging them out of the sand and i have hmm. drawings of these temples in my home one of them over my desk right so i'm always looking at the temple of philae philae 
which to me says temple, right? It's like the 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 Egyptians when the the Israelites leave with Moses, they leave the temples of Egypt. <laughs> And that they carry with them this the, this conviction that worship has to happen in a temple does not surprise me. Um, but this, you know, it's, it's, I'm too much in Tolkien right now, too, but this feeling of going back into the deep past and being there in the reality is mm-hmm. incredibly powerful. Something, it's like when we get cut off from that, people wither. We want to be rooted in that story. Mm. I mean, for Tolkien, it's all very um, botanical. There's all the trees and such, and you want to be rooted into that mm. life. That, that we just like we're talking about coming home. It's like when we get. I I do feel this when we're cut off from the fullness of this tradition, we we die. Right? It's like we're, we're cut mm. flowers might be able to look good for a little bit, but then just wither and and collapse and none of that has anything to do with whether or not politically we're freer right now <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it's, it's a it's a mistaken perception of the meaning of life or the purpose of life and i said so to the extent to say all religions do that well what kind of participation do we have in the service to god in all religions that there are there are ways in the mm-hmm. i think that like the Indian subcontinent devotions to particular avatars of the divine to me look similar. And then I start wondering about the continuity across the middle of Eurasia. (laughs) Alexander the Great, Mm -hmm. (laughs) he was there in both Egypt and, you know, (laughs) North India. Yes. So, (laughs) I mean, that obviously I'm a historian and I like (laughs) imagining myself back into all these stories, but somewhere Mm -hmm. in there, it feels like, yes, there is a true religion, but it's something about this reality. And mm. in any, it's the degree to which religions teach the same thing. I feel like they're, they've got to be participating in this reality because otherwise they're, they can't, it's nonsense. There's reality. That's it. You don't get multiple realities. Mm. No, you can't have multiple realities. Um, uh, this is where it was useful uh, having Solomonics to talk mm. to. You know, I'll just refer to them as Solomonics because having the having the conversation with people about being the same race that crosses color lines was very important, and also the same race that crosses religious lines, and then having this discussion about who worships God in the proper way. It, it was always about right worship, mm-hmm. right versus wrong worship, you know, in reflection. Um, that would be the best way to summarize it. Not uh, yeah, so the Well, to be fair, that was the conversation in Europe in the in the early modern period it was always what's true religion and they meant mm. what's true worship religion then mm. did not mean you know this these sort of different boxes that you can choose from at the grocery store kind of feel it was mm. which which manner of worship is correct and of course the protestants say you shouldn't have images and priests and all of that so they but they were arguing in fact over proper worship which is what so it wasn't a branding problem 
wasn't like which brand it's a branding problem now but then it then it was uh i mean they obviously got in some big arguments about it it was a Mm. if we worship wrong we and, and then they end up in the legalistic worry of you know god will reject us and and we'll all not be saved and okay guys <laughs> do it beautifully how's that right so <laughs> why is it so hard <laughs> but the you know the ancient temp the ancient priesthood temple it's like the, as far as i would the, you know where i go at saint john cantius it feels temple right it's the priesthood yeah. serving in the temple we yes. as the people assisting the priests in re- making the offerings to god right that's a worship mm. and and then because you've i i you know the longer i go been, I've, been, I've been going there for about a year now regularly i was going to a different my more local parish in Hyde park here at first now i've I got an allergic to novus ordo because it doesn't feel focused enough on god mm. I have never been to a novice orders Catholic service, but um, the pre the priest yeah, faces I, you, which is like, oh, we're going to be the community and work together. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. the priest is facing the altar because that's where God is. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm totally out oriented. I get that now. Um, and the the solemnity is witnessing to that moment of attention of to the divine. Hmm. Well, this this is the distinction. This is the 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 Judaic and Christian distinction in that uh, during Lent we're fasting, and then the end during Holy Week that we're in now, and having the liturgies that we're having now in reflection of the crucifixion of 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 the King of Israel. We want to invite all people to participate in this liturgical temple reality so it's not a case of political power and it cannot be a case of political power because as i've written you know just recently you can't uh legislate metanoia you cannot legislate repentance love is not litigious (laughs) We cannot fall in love with a Messiah because someone has signed it into law. This is impossible. The only way of doing this is to come to Christ in his temple, in the expression of uh, service to Israel's king through the priesthood that he established. The, uh, that's that's the only way I can describe it. So the the argument, which you know, the argument now is, oh, we're a Judeo-Christian civilization or not, or you know, the Jews are doing this mm. and blah 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 blah, the Christians are doing this blah 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 blah. Well, to me, it seems like the civilization itself is schizophrenic making that distinction because what you're arguing about is contract law instead of saying, hold on a second, what temple are we worshiping in? This is the more this is a more important. Uh, part of the conversation because i can have conversations um with judaic semites regarding uh worship without falling into screaming fights over racial fractions Mm. 
you know, I can have these conversations when it's anchored in the 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 reality of like Coptic Solomonic expression of this of this practice because we're recognizing that there's a Semitic root to it. And then it's not just like, oh, it's therefore acceptable because it's Semitic. It's that we haven't denied what temple we're in at the time. So yeah, this is like, a, it, I don't know if I'm doing a very good job. Well, I think you get in this, trouble but... with American Jews too, <laughs> I think. Well, it's funny, because, I think, but it's I funny. Think, because insofar I was... as I, as I, I mean, not being Jewish and therefore having to rely on it, being an outsider's perspective on things. Um, I'm, I'm not clear. Well, I mean, if I get in trouble, that's no, fine. No, I, I just I mean, say I that, that, <laughs> so our problem, I mean, our present problem is simply describing our, our position, right? Our, 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 right. our, the next level in love is helping other people get to this position. <laughs> and, mm. um, I, you know, from, for American Christians, it's being calm and i mean we're very the the conversation is going on big tents and emotionalism casey's saying big tent is a unique protestant american revival tradition which sought to eliminate religious differences it, it's specifically presbyterian my my people yeah. um and it, you know it was it was like yeah literally tents that would bring people particularly scots irish into these mm. these enthusiastic revivals you'd never know that from pre presbyterian churches now because <laughs> they're not very enthusiastic um mm. how do you i was like you i think you're you're very anchored and and real and and you know I mean, liturgically, your liturgical focus, I love, right? For American Christians, there's so much anxiety about even being able to say things that robustly. Um, mm. Well, some American Christians, I think some are actually com comfortable with it. Um, but the, the, ones that, the ones that create problems with talking about Judeo-Christianity and then getting anxious politically, not so much. Well, I, I mean, maybe this is just because I have a lot of, Judaic friends or you know like uh how, how how should I put this I had these experiences while still spending time with American Jewish friends of mine even now when we talk to each other in letters we'll say next year in Jerusalem mm. there's a deep longing in my heart to have people who have been displaced by empire and who are scattered by imperial machinery and dispossessed of rooted identity to find it, which is why I don't like colonialism. Mm. You know, it's like not, not all colonialism. <laughs> That's a different story. <laughs> but because I, 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 see the I see the mechanisms and what the empire, you know, what many of the empires mm. have done especially the one that we're all, you know, experiencing currently, the, 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 the dispossession is, is intense and the displacement is intense and everyone can mm -hmm. feel it. And everybody is, you know, the emotions are heightened because people are, you know, they're 
they're suffering lack of roots and everybody wants everybody wants them so when i when i speak to to other people that are so how shall i put it honest about being scattered within empire which i think is something that i really do appreciate about mm. jews very much judaics is this next year in jerusalem while we're in exile we're, we're diaspora we're scattered they're remembering possession of geography and there's a kind of reflection then on the relationship between being rooted and being you know pushed around by imperial powers but because cops never lost the geography that tension doesn't really exist because they're not displaced they haven't lost their roots and they're manifesting fully the um the expression of hebrew religion so i don't know like if i get in trouble with people that's fine i just i say it's this it's not so much you get in a... trouble it's just i think the so one of the things peter novick said in his book on the holocaust is part of the reason it got it was so intense for jews particularly in the 70s there was a television program that everybody saw i remember seeing it growing up holocaust mm -hmm. it came out the year after jesus of nazareth like in roots we were really the miniseries was a was a great event in american <laughs> bang, american bang, religious bang. life um that yeah. one of the things that that you know made it possible for the holocaust to become the central feature of jewish identity in the united states was that many american jews weren't practicing anything else that they recognized mm. that would identify them as as i mean religiously jewish uh, mm. so, you know the famous secular you know the secular jew but they'll identify through their suffering in in the in their their families um so it's confusing i think and this is a, maybe it's like we're talking about how christians in the coptic tradition do not have some of the same frankly hang-ups <laughs> as protestants and catholics mm. do in the way it's like they're depending on where the traditions developed in the different regions of the world, the religions don't carry the same character. And that's true for Judaism as well as Christianity. Mm, very much so. Um, and yet what you're describing well, is the, the longing across all of these traditions maps, literally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, it, it makes total sense to me that it happened in Jerusalem, right? It just feels the center of the world, right? That that's where it is yeah. on the, on the medieval map of Mundi. It's there right in the center. And it does, you know, it's like there's something about that place in the world, that part of our, our geographical reality. Mm. Yeah. It's the, the, the bridge between all worlds yes. european african asiatic yeah it's a, it's a it's, powerful powerful place <laughs> it is it is um i mean this yeah i mean th this may be shocking to a lot of americans that the the 
the, the, the events of World War II, the Holocaust, they don't, they, they did not influence Jewish identity in uh, the African diaspora, the way that they influenced the identity of the European or the New World European um, diaspora. Right. And uh, it's even, you know, it's it's even caused a few problems within within the Jewish uh, Jewish population. You know, in Israel, there's been a an effort to integrate more of the the African Beta Israel expression into uh, the larger Jewish, you know, kind of religious expression because they had different festivals. They were, they had something called Seged, which is um, a, a festival that commemorates the receiving of the of the law, or, you know, the, the Decalogue on the tablets mm -hmm. by Moses on the mountain. So it's like no, this massive holiday back to we're back charlton to charlton has drive we made drive it through, through the drive yeah. through charlton Heston. <laughs> yeah um but that community they have this it's a you know yearly celebration to remember we received the law through moses so it was very much like based in the reception of the commandments uh on sinai and the experience of okay what was happening when we just received the law we've just been we've just been pulled out of egypt through mm. this you know psychedelic plague experience and you know the, the the magnitude of what happened during the exodus but this this seged is it you know it's really important to the the beta israel that are practicing uh kind of judaism which they call hymenot so again if you use the word and you're equivocating you lose the the subtlety in israel hymenot you say that they'll know ah oh, you're talking about the beta beta israel judaism mm -hmm. um and they had a completely you know unique expression of judaism because they were disconnected from europe just you know forever they they disconnected from european experience disconnected from the judeo-christian tension of europe they had their own experience but there's a much stronger feeling of wanting to remember the exodus and the reception of the law and being uh tabernacle people then I think in a lot of like the, I mean, from what I can see in a lot of the conversations now about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be mm -hmm. a Jew, very few people talk about the Exodus uh, in being the ethnogenesis of the Israelites, really. Black Americans do. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> There's even songs that most people know that center the Exodus. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um. Go down, Moses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've, I, I find that interesting. And that, that has great resonance with us as cops. Yeah. Great resonance. There's like Black American uh, songs, the, the, the storytelling sounds coptic to me 
We should, we should, after you've celebrated the death and resurrection, we should do something on something more joyous like spirituals <laughs> mm. and, and the liturgy. Then I did, then I had to figure out my, my stream. Well, actually we can't stream. We don't, I, I just, I, I could put anything in classes that I, tomorrow in, in Tolkien, we're going to do music and I could play what I like. Right. And it's like, I, I'm not sure what I can play mm. into YouTube and have them worry about copyright or not. We'll we'll have oh, to sing yeah. ourselves. We can strike. We'll have to, to sing it ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're 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 in we're in our Passover mm. right now. You know, for for our Easter, we are now back in Egypt. We're we're slaughtering our Passover mm. lamb, and we're hearing the cries of the Egyptians. We're hearing the cries of the Egyptians right now in the Coptic world. So. Right now we're in Exodus. Yeah. Is that a bad place? No, to leave I think it's a good place to leave it. I can't figure out how to say how to exit quietly. <laughs> everybody, everybody, <laughs> leave silently. Um, let's see. Let's see. Okay, so we have um, Casey and Silent Draco have been carrying on. Big tent problem, very superficial, based in emotionalism, much like politics today. Yes, I think I hope after this conversation, we've 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 touched all of we touched every live wire there is. Oh my god, <laughs> yeah. every third rail we could think of so far. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's what we do, isn't it? For for someone, it's a, for a, a, a you know an arc. We seem to keep banging into rail lines a lot. <laughs> How do we do that? I thought we were on the scene. Um, Silent Draco saying much of it was based on the big man, big speaker, very personality based. Yes, I think there are clues in this about new mm -hmm. layers of trouble that we can get into. So I've been, I have, I have a meditation about getting in trouble, and you know, it's like the the, the why, Rachel, do you keep getting in trouble? Because you'd think I'd learn how to avoid it after a while, right? With the, the years of following, you know, being, being in Milo's entourage. Professor, I think, I don't, I think I'm an entourage of one with him. Yeah. Um, as Christians, we are going to be the stumbling block to the world. Inevitably. Mm. And if you are not being scandalous... You are clearly not enough of a stumbling block to the wise of the world. Um, I w have also been thinking about the other Egyptian part of the Christian culture that becomes very much central to the medieval West, which is uh, monasticism. And the way mm -hmm. that the desert fathers of Egypt go out into the desert to get stronger fighting the demons, because that's where the demons are. And the longer you're there and the stronger you get, the bigger the demons get. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I hate to tell you this, but, you know, don't believe in ghost stories. Well, you know, here we are. Um, yet again, the pirates <laughs> land, you know, sailing straight into the storm because, well, that's what we need to do. And and there was a third reason that I was trying to figure out. It's like, why do I keep ending up in, um, you want me on your side, frankly. Mm. 
uh, those of you in academia who may be watching, um, because I will stand up for you when it's when um, others won't, and I've proven that I hope a number of times, and that's what we do as Christians. So if you, those of you wish to be Christian Christians in the nation, think that it means that you'll be comfy in a band. Think again. You will be the one having to stand for truth and Christ when everybody else wants you to shoot the elephant. And if you don't get that reference, well, we'll have to explain that one next time. (laughs) (laughs) George Orwell, shooting the elephant. Recognize who we are, who you are, if you are pressing for the death of the noble creature and and are too afraid to not do it because of all the people standing behind you wanting the show Mm. yeah okay that's gnomic enough (laughs) scandalous scandalous (laughs) i think yes so so we have we have you know um patrick coffin always has his catchphrase you know be a saint what else to the we have failed to have a a catchphrase um we'll have to work we'll have to work on it i think scandal has to come into it because definitely yeah be scandalous christ was is no wait Mm -hmm. we don't have we don't have a phrase yet we'll have to work we'll have to work on this you guys will join us next week as we figure out our catchphrase right (laughs) happy second easter (laughs) aren't you happy that we get two just like hobbits Thank you for joining us. (laughs) Happy stuff. Thank you.